0: Right, good morning, victory. Good to see you guys. So glad to be back. Hey, if you guys could do something on the lights. I, I don't have any lights up here. Um, you know, many years ago, I was living in uh, Fiji, the nation of Fiji. We were missionaries there. And um, and so one night I go to sleep, and at 4 in the morning, I am just awakened from a deep sleep on the day of September twelfth, two 2001. And as I answer the phone call, I could recognize the Australian accent of my good friend, Pastor John Brown, uh, who was uh, an evangelist in Australia at the time. And he's yelling on the line that America is under attack. And so I'm, I'm there half asleep, I'm in a brain fog, I don't know what's going on, and when you hear, you know, you're in a different country and you hear your home is under attack, my mind immediately was thinking a military attack from Russia or China. But since Fiji is a day ahead of America, the date actually was 9-11 on September 11th, 2001 when the terrorist attacks hit. Later that day, uh, me and my family, we went to a friend's house, and we were glued to the TV as more and more information was coming out of what was taking place back here in my homeland. And it, we find out that almost 3,000 people were killed on that day. But one of the most tragic things about that day is a lot of people's lives were in the balance depending on the decisions they had made in the first 30 to 60 minutes after the planes had hit the towers. On the morning of September 11, 2001, thousands of people were working in the World Trade Center Twin Towers, and some of them had to make decisions. Will they vacate their office or will they remain? Will they take the stairwell up or will they go down? Will they leave immediately or will they stay and wait for help? Mere moments to make life-altering decisions. Some of them seemingly very minor decisions that were made in a state of confusion but had enormous consequences on if they lived or died I was reading stories about some of the individuals that made some of those decisions one guy's name was Ernie Frank he he delivered packages for UPS and he was making a delivery to Morgan Stanley which happened to be the largest tenant at the Twin Towers and he was in the middle of the reception area of this big company and when he heard this uh, horrendous boom, and it was the impact of the first plane. He immediately started running downstairs. But as he's running downstairs, uh, people are saying, no, stay in the building. That is the safest place to be. Don't leave the building. Stay there. And they kept telling people this over and over again. But Ernie decided to leave the building immediately, and today he's still alive to tell a story. Another man, Andrew Cullen, actually felt the explosion of the plane when it hit the skyscraper. And his decisions in those first moments led to a series of actions that were critical for his life. He immediately got out of his seat, and he went over to one of his best friends, a guy named Derek Swords, and he started talking to him. And, and three of his other colleagues, they all decided that they were going to leave the building as fast as they possibly could. And, but Derek Swords did not want to leave his desk. The others made their way to a freight elevator, and when the elevator door opened, the elevator was going up. And so they pounded on the, the, uh, the display to make the elevator go down, and they went down into the lobby. He later on said, he said, I felt the powerful explosion, and I did not need to be a third of the mile up in the air in a building. Andrew, now 51 years old, can tell his story while his friend Derek Swords, who would not leave his desk is no longer alive. Marie Patton had to make her own decisions. Marie was a veteran bond trader. And she and her colleagues, once they got onto the bond floor each and every day, they would not leave the floor Many times uh, they would even ignore fire drills and not even go to the bathroom because if they did, they could miss a phone call and they could miss a trade that could make them a lot of money. So they would never leave the trading floor. But when the plane hit the building, Marie looked outside and she noticed glass simmering in the sunlight and she realized there was serious damage to the building and she needed to get out of the building and get out fast. She went to her coworkers and she was trying to convince them to come with her to get out of the building, but not one of them would listen to her. And she started running down the stairs as fast as she could. Once she got out of the building, she kept running, and she ran for half a mile away from the buildings. And then the first tower collapsed. When she turned and looked to see the building collapsing, she realized that all of her friends were probably not going to make it. And later on in the week, Marie found that out to be true because she lost 40 co-workers in that day. People's decisions would dictate if they lived or died. See, one of the most important things in all of our lives, in all of our lives, is are the decisions that we make. And I want to read a verse out of Joel Chapter 3, verse 14, it says this Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. I want you to pray with me this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given us a free will, and that free will enables us to make decisions. And God, I pray for every single one of us this morning that we would make the right decisions in our life, God, that we would be careful and listen to your voice and listen to your word, God, and that we would not to make wrong decisions in our life, God. And I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God, if you guys, the lights are kind of weird again, if you guys could get them back to normal. But here's that verse, it says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision every day each and every one of us are barraged with a whole set of decisions to make every day we have to make choices and decisions and these decisions can drastically affect our entire lives you know last week we started a new sermon series called take it to the bank Uh, omar brought a really tremendous message about accountability. And today, my subject in this message is transactions. See, in any bank account, you will have transactions. You'll write a check. You'll use your debit card. You'll uh, wire a transfer. You'll do an ACH. And a whole host of other transactions. But no matter what the transaction is... All transactions are based on decisions that we need to make. You know, should I use my debit card to purchase this item? Should I transfer this amount of money to this other account? And on and on and on. We have to make decisions on what we're going to do with our account. And today I want to look at three areas in regards to decisions because decisions are so vital to our life and i'm going to look at three areas now i'm warning you that when i bring the names of these areas they're going to sound kind of weird okay they're going to say why is it why is it called that well there's a reason why it's called that you'll just have to stay with me and trust me on this but i'm going to give you the three names and then afterwards we're going to look in depth at each area of decisions the first one is pillar of salt The second one is royal tragedy, and the third one is unexploded bombs. Told you they were weird, amen. Let's look at the first one, Pillar of Salt. In the book of Genesis, we are told about these twin cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, and these are wicked places. Sin is so rampant, and God is so fed up with these twin cities that he decides he's just going to level both of them. He's just going to just wipe them off the face of the map. But Abraham, who is a friend of God, has a nephew, a guy named Lot, that he is in one of these places. He's there. He's in the place that God is going to destroy. So Abraham starts pleading with God. He's he got his best sales pitch on to God to try to get him to spare any righteous people that are living in Sodom or Gomorrah. And so he's doing this with God. And so God finally sends two angels down to rescue Lot and his family. So the angels come and they gather up a Lot his wife, and his two daughters. And then in Genesis chapter 19, it tells us they give these, the, his family these instructions. Listen what the angels tell Lot and his family. He said, when they had brought them outside, one of the angels one said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. So here it is. These angels tell Lot, his wife, and his two daughters these specific instructions. Escape for your life and do not look behind you. Don't turn around and look. Now, I don't know about you, but if some angels came and rescued me from a city that's going to be absolutely obliterated, I'm going to listen to them. How about you? Are you going to listen to these angels? I'm going to listen to their warning. I'm going to take heed of what they're saying. This is basically God telling Lot and his family, you know, what to do. This is not some light thing. This is not some suggestion. Amen. This is a, a life and death matter. But let's look at the outcome. Verse 19, 23 through 26. It said, the sun has risen over the earth when Lot came to Zorah. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of those cities and what grew on the ground. But his wife, Lot's wife, but his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Here's a picture of Lot and his family and you see his wife it's not looking too good, is she? Here it is. Lot's wife totally blows off the angel's instructions. And she turns around and she is looking. Can you imagine the noise? I mean, we don't know how noisy it was, but I can imagine fire and brimstone is loud. I mean, this noise is probably deafening. The angel said, don't look around, don't look back. But she does not listen to them, and she turns into a pillar of salt. This is a classic example of someone not listening to specific instructions from God. God sends two angels to rescue these people, gives them specific instructions on what to do and what not to do, And Lot's wife makes this terrible decision to turn around and see what's happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. You know what? i got to just check it out. i just got to turn around and find out what's going on in downtown Sodom. Now, we can all look at Lot's wife and blast her horrible decision. We can all go, oh, look at what she did. But you know what? A lot of Christians do the same thing. Hello? See, all of us, we have something even better than two angels instructing us. We have God's holy word. Amen. We've got the Bible, amen, that instructs us. It's all here. Everything we need to know. Everything we need to know about how to live life, how to make the good decisions, how to stay out of trouble, how to do the the honest and right thing. It's all here. Everything we need to know is right here. If we don't know what to do in a certain decision, amen, all we got to do is look in the Bible and there's answers for us. James 1.5, it says, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him, and he will gladly tell you, for he is always ready to give a bountiful supply of wisdom to all who ask him. Amen. If you are confronted with a decision and you don't know what to do, you need to pray and say, God, what do you want me to do? God, what is your instructions for me with this decision? What am I supposed to do? Amen. A lot of times we'll ask everyone else under the sun. Amen. We'll ask Jeeves if that's even around anymore. And we'll ask everyone else what we need to do instead of just talking to God. And the great thing is it deals with every other subject under the sun. It does. It's amazing I mean, how much information is in the Bible? You know, people have a question. You know, should I date a non-Christian? It's in there. It's in there. It tells us no. Amen. Don't be unlegally yoked. Should I cheat on my college exam so that I can get a better grade? Should I do this? Should I get into credit card debt? They didn't even have credit cards in the Bible's written, but it talks about debt. It tells us really clearly. Should I lie to my boss to cover my butt? Oh, but I might lose my job. The answer is all here, man. It's all in here. Everything we need to know, it's there. Should I forgive my friend who said something mean to me? It's so amazing that we have a guide to help us make the transitions in our life. The transactions, amen. To make good decisions. To make things that that we're not sure about. To make the right choice. It doesn't leave us in the dark. It doesn't leave us by ourselves to try to figure everything out. It's all in there, man. Everything we need to know is in the Word of God. It's there. You know what? The Bible is like a cheat code. If you guys play any games, you know, there's a cheat code. And, and you know, if you're playing a game, you get all the cheat. That's what the Bible is. It's like the answer key. You're going to take a test, and you have the answer key. We have such an awesome heavenly father that he's given us all the answers. But the problem lies in the fact that many Christians don't listen to God. The problem isn't we don't know what to do. The problem is we know what to do, but we don't do it. That should be an awe moment, like oh. We know what to do, we just don't want to do it. Lot's wife had two angels. I mean, two angels give them specific instructions. And she doesn't listen to them, and she becomes a human salt shaker. Morton, amen. She made Morton a lot of money. Hey, lady, don't look back. But she blows it off. And then, bam, her whole life is gone. Same thing with us, folks. We have God's word, God's instruction manual on how to live. It's all there. All we got to do is listen to it. All we got to do is read it and know what it says so we can make good transactions in life. Amen. You guys still with me? Let's look at number two. Number two, royal tragedy. Now, most of us know, unless you've been living under a rock, that uh, you know, Queen Elizabeth, the monarch of Great Britain, passed away this week. Now that's sad, of course, but that's not the royal tragedy I want to talk about. There's another royal tragedy. Back in the 1970s, the heir to the throne of Great Britain was Queen Elizabeth's son. Prince Charles. And Charles was in love with this woman named Camilla Rosemary Sherrard. He was in love with her. And she was from a very fine family, but she wasn't from the right type of family. You know, you know what I'm talking about? I don't know all this British jargon and, and monarchy stuff, but Queen Elizabeth said, You're not marrying her. She's not from the right kind of family to be uh, in the royal family. She's not at the proper social status. So even though Charles loved her, and even though he wanted to marry this woman, he allows his mother to influence his decision, and he marries instead a young girl named Diana Frances Spencer, who became Princess Diana. Diana. Now, regardless of what you think about Diana, everybody loves her, and and she was an awesome person and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying anything bad about her. But the marriage was a disaster because the dude married someone he didn't want to marry. And it became an absolute train wreck for the royal family. Now, why did all this happen because Charles allowed someone else, his mom in this case, to influence his decision on who he was going to marry. And he, it, the crazy thing ends, ends up, he ends up marrying Camilla anyway. But even though they both got divorces, and I mean all this other collateral damage ensued, but the royal tragedy happened because he allowed someone else to influence a a major decision in his life. And this is something that plagues a lot of us. We allow the wrong people to influence our decisions. Can I hear an amen on that one? We allow the wrong people to influence our decisions. You know, remember I said earlier, one of the most important things in all of life are the decisions that we make. And if we allow the wrong people to influence us on decisions, amen, it can jack up our lives. You know, as I look at my own life, you know, some of the worst decisions I made, especially before I was a Christian, was I was heavily influenced by the wrong people. You know, and, and these decisions sent my life spiraling down, man. Yeah, you know, I remember the first time I stole something. You know, some of you, you know this. I was a thief, man. I'd steal everything. I'm serious. But the first time I stole something was when I was 8 years old because I had some of my friends. Oh, come on, Larry. We were at the Ben Franklin. Come on, steal it, man. Come on, steal it. Steal something. Be a, be a man. I'm 8 years old. Be a man. Yeah, Really? That was the first time I stole something, and I thought, wow, this is great. I got something for free, and that started me in the life of crime. Friends influenced me. First time I drank alcohol at the age of 11 years old, people were pushing me. We were sleeping over my friend's house, and they stole some vodka from his parents. And Come on, Larry, drink some. Come on, drink it. And I drank and I chugged it and got massively drunk and massively sick. And then that started me in the area of being an alcoholic. Same thing with drugs, same thing. And here it is. It doesn't change for any of us once we become Christians. There are still people around us, sometimes family, sometimes friends, sometimes even other Christians that are trying to influence to make us make bad decisions. You would think, oh, a Christian would never do that to you. You watch. They will. Listen to this great verse. This is a verse we all should know by heart. 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And so you can see this played out over a cross-section of scenarios. You know, you might have a boyfriend and girlfriend, and one of them is pressuring the others to have premarital sex. You know, there's this pressure, amen, come on, oh, come on, baby, I love you. Oh, I'm going to slap you upside the head, you little punk. Love you, we're in love. No, you're in heat, that's what you're in. You ain't in love. What is up with that, man? You little horn dog, I mean, you need to cool your jets, man. Oh, pastor said, "horn dog." We well, you know it's a lot worse. Is when young people are having sex outside of marriage, or even old people. I've seen old people, man, in their fifties and sixties having sex and are not married. Doesn't matter. And there's this pressure. Oh, come on, it's okay. It's not bad. There's bosses sometimes that will try to influence an employee to lie to a customer. Just tell them this, and it's a lie. They want you to be dishonest. They're not paying you enough for that. (laughs) Nobody's paying you enough for that. It's bad decisions, or maybe some other Christians. You know, they're trying to get you to leave the church. Oh, come to my church. I'll do that. You know, you know, get out of my face, man. And people were trying to influence you to make bad decisions. You know, one of the saddest examples of someone influencing someone else was a time when I was pastoring in Fiji. In Fiji, I had had a tremendous move of God among young people. And there was these two young teenagers that got saved. The guy's name was Yogesh, and the girl's name was Priti. That was her name. And they got powerfully saved, both of them from Hindu families. And they started coming to church and serving God. And, uh, and you could tell that they liked each other. And they were doing the right thing, and, but they liked each other. And then when Yogesh became 21, uh, Priti was 19, going to be 20, uh, he wanted to marry her. And they would have been a great couple. They had a calling on their life to do something for God, and, and they were doing right. But Yogesh was from a poor family, very poor. And then Priti's mom, her dad had passed away, Priti's mom found out about it and said, no, nah, that's not happening. And so she arranged a marriage with some other boy for her daughter. Arranged a marriage. Some guy that she didn't even know, some guy who was a Hindu, some guy she did not want to marry. And I remember she was going to go do it. She's going to marry some guy she doesn't even know. Here's a guy that she loves and that she'd be perfect with that she wants to marry. But she's going to follow the advice of her mom. I remember talking to her. And I said, "Pretty, do you want to marry this guy? She says, no. I said, who do you want to marry? She said, Yogesh. I said, well, marry him then. No, this is what my mom wants, so I'm going to follow her advice. Sad. We can't let the wrong people or the wrong advice influence our decisions, folks. Because it could affect us for a long time. Now, here's the third area. Third area is unexploded bombs. Now, you're probably thinking, what in the world are you talking about? Let me explain. I was reading this article about uh, this wildfire that's taking place on the border of Italy and Sylvania. It's this massive fire that was raging over this entire area on this border of these two countries. But the problem wasn't the wildfire. It was the multiple unexpected explosions of bombs that almost killed many firefighters. These bombs that are now exploding are from World War I. World War I, a war that ended 104 years ago. These bombs that have been sitting unexploded for over a century, now because of the heat of the fire, are now exploding. Sitting dormant for decades and decades, then all of a sudden, boom. That's the same thing that happens with some decisions that we make. We make a bad decision And it doesn't seem to affect us. Hey, I got away with this. It's not affecting me. I'm okay. Nothing happened. But then years later, there's an explosion. Amen? Decisions we made years before, they're buried. But then all of a sudden, boom, it comes to light. I've witnessed this a number of times where you have a married couple... And one of them were unfaithful, and the other never knew about it. And then it comes to light somehow. Let me tell you something, it always comes to light. The Bible says whatever's hidden is going to come to light, it's going to come out, man. And then, bam, an explosion. Maybe five, eight, 13 years later, kaboom, it comes to light. It could be possibly a shady business deal that you did years ago. Ah, I got away with that. I made some extra money, and I am free and clear. And that it all comes back with devastating consequences. I want to read this verse in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Read this with me. It says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. That is a scary verse, don't you think? It's scary in the fact that you make decisions, you sow something, you are going to reap the consequences of that decision. It may not be right then. It may be six months down the road. It may be four years. It may be fifteen years. But one day, you will reap what you have sown. All of us will. And that's a scary thing to think—that something we did years ago can affect us in our life now. Scary. That's why we got to be have to be careful how we live our lives, and careful with the decisions we make. Just like those people on 9-11, they made decisions seemingly minor, seemingly unimportant. But some of the people that made those good decisions, they're alive today. And a lot of those that did not make the right decision, they're not. It's the same way with any decision we can make you can take it to the bank because these transactions will come back to haunt us. Amen? If we